0: Hey, it's Eddie Trunk, and you're checking out the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Yeah,
1: thank you, Eddie. You got it, man.
2: Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Doctor Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, bam.
1: All right, it's time for the year in review. The first time ever, the Rock and Metal Combat podcast is going to do a year in review. And what we're going to do this week is we're going to review the year 1983. Ian's got a list of albums from 1983, and we're going to all talk about it. And with me, like always, is. Oh, yeah! Ian Wadley from New Orleans. And Ian, who else do we have with us?
0: The one and only Biggity Bang,
3: god dang!
0: Bill Wang is with us. The Rock and of
2: Combat <laughs> 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 <Podcast>. <laughs> Rock and of Combat Podcast, a place to be diligent! Bam! I am the Bill Wang. I am the Asian Sensation. What's up, guys? Alright, dude. Great to have you here, bro. Uh
1: in case like just to give everybody a heads up. Uh, we've been on Skype for the past six hours. We already reviewed. We reviewed, We already reviewed Scorpions' Blackout. Then we went into this whole tirade of a kiss, and then we went into this whole tirade of other stuff that's going to be on separate YouTube pages. And Bill Wang even fell asleep, passed out during the show, but he's back awake, and we still feel like talking. Now we are a little under time restraint, so we want to get right into this episode. Bill Wang and Ian Wadley are fucking drunk off their ass. I'm sober, but. Doesn't matter. Uh, We're going to keep going. So uh, uh, let's go down the list. Uh, Number one, we'll go to Ian. Ian was
0: only nine years old at this time. I I, I was nine years old. And the first one on this list is ACDC's (laughs) Flick of the Switch. Uh, This is an album that definitely didn't come up on my radar when it was first released. And it was. Many years into my ACDC fandom, uh, that I discovered it. And initially, I, I totally dismissed it. And while I was waiting, Bill Wang had to make a phone call. Ralph, you were taking a shower. While I was sitting here slamming beers, listening to Rising Power. And I was like, fuck, this is a great song. Um,. And I realize there's a lot of great songs on this album that, uh, you know, initially I, I didn't get into, but I think it's one of those, you don't get it right away. The same way you got Back in Black or For Those About to Rock. And while I still don't think it's on par with those, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a solid album, but it's it, it stripped down, there's no Mutt Lang production. And uh, I can see why this is considered almost like a cult classic. Because I think there's a lot to be desired on Flick the Switch. What do you think, Ralph?
1: Uh, this is an album that was very much hated by all my buddies. Except for a couple people. Uh, I remember a lot of people were very disappointed with Flick of the Switch. Because, um, well, I don't know why. I mean, I honestly do like uh, both um, uh, For Those About to Rock and Back in Black more. But I think this one is is pretty much in the same vein as those two. I think it's as good, and I mean, not better, but uh, maybe a little bit more of a downgrade, but shit. Songs like Gun For Hire, better and Bad, um, Nervous Shakedown. I think it's a great fucking album. It's in the tradition of ACDC, they didn't sway, but I think that's what was turning off people at the time because they wanted change. People wanted change. People are used to bands changing, and at that time, it was kind of new. For people to see a band that wouldn't change—I mean, with the exception, of course, of the Ramones and stuff like that—you know—but but but, um, but that's different. You know, AC/DC is a whole different animal. But uh, I think it's an amazing album, and I don't think it sold as well as the two prior to it. And uh, nah. but and 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 other than that, Axel DC show that I saw recently, this was the best time I saw ACDC. Uh, oh, I'll never forget, the sh- the show opened with a guitar solo. That's how the show started. With a fucking guitar solo, and then into Guns For Hire, Fast Way Open. I think that album came out in 83 as well, right? Yes. Yeah, I want to talk about that one as well. But uh, oh my god, it's a great album. I love this album. I, think every, I like every song on the album. Uh, I think it's top notch, and hopefully one day we will review it. Bill Wang, what do you think of Flick of the Switch?
2: I think Flick of the Switch is fucking sick motherfucking heavy metal 1983. And here's the deal. When this shit came out, man, I'm all, oh my God. Because, you know, the general public is all, what the fuck's going on? Here's the deal. Um, I think this album is exactly as you said. I think it's fucking badass. I think it's, it's, the thing about this album, it's just so, like, not pop culture- um, I mean, it's just, there's just something about this album that's just, just so fucking like not what everybody considers ACDC. And, uh, I love this album. It's fucking heavy and it's sick and it's badass. And, uh, yeah. So basically what I think of this album, I think it's fucking badass. So there you go. Bam.
1: Awesome. What else we got on that list Ian?
0: All right, coming up next round. I'm gonna let you take this first. Accept, Restless and Wild.
1: Oh my God, my favorite, hands down, favorite Accept album. Wasn't the first Accept album I ever heard. Uh, funny enough, it was. Uh, I I believe Flash Rocket Man was the first Accept song I ever heard, which was off that album. But uh, the first album I actually purchased because I couldn't find Restless and Wild back then was balls to the wall so that's my first uh, initial you know but yeah when i went back and uh wrestlers and wild is one of the best sounding albums i think metal albums i love the sound of that album who was that michael wagner i think uh let's
0: see uh well it says it says it except but i think it was Dieter Dirk's and michael wagner worked uh michael wagner was the engineer okay
1: well i what a great sounding album Fast as a shark still remains my favorite, except song and uh, oh my god the title track you know it's just I I can't say I can't say enough good things about this album because it's it's solid from beginning to end and uh, oh man dude fucking Winter Dreams is beautiful Princess of the Dawn bro. Come on, you
0: know. Uh, just... uh Winter Dreams is from Ball. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's
1: what I meant. I meant oh Princess <laughs> sorry. Um, you know, uh, what can I say? I just love the fucking album. Uh Wrestling Wild. My favorite except album.
0: Awesome. What do you what do you think, Bill Wayne?
2: Um well, with the exception of being a fucking guilty fucking pleasure, um, I think the fucking album is fucking heavy as fuck. And I love it and it's fucking badass. And the thing about Except is they always had a fucking cool vibe about it. it. And they're just so fucking massively metal. And I love the album. And it's probably one of my top five albums of 1983. I love the album. And it's sick. It's awesome. It's badass. Five out of five this Bam!
1: Oh, I also want to bring this up, Ian, because you know there's nerds out there that are flipping their wig, can't wait to tell us this. This was released in October 2nd, 1982, in Europe. And it was released oh, in the... Oh, fuck their
2: fucking... Fuck those bitch-ass motherfuckers, the uh, unpopular metal people. Yeah. Fuck them pussies. You're right. So, uh... We I- hate them! We hate them! bo and Dr. Foxy. say, Fuck you, bitches! <laughs> fuck you bitches
1: but it was uh released in uh, originally released in 1982
0: right on, right in,
2: on, in right the u.s Dr. it was Buck. released right on, in 83 so there you go yeah Dr. yeah well, laid it down brother so so Dr. so, Buck, so, so was, uh, yeah.
0: balls
1: to the wall was released in 83 too so we had two except yeah. albums released in the same year in the states
0: yeah yes yeah. so, well balls to the wall was released uh in december of 83 and you're absolutely right uh in europe it was released in October of 82 it was released uh, I believe in January uh, 83 in the States uh, this is an album I didn't you know I didn't come to know for years you know after the fact I mean of course my first introduction was balls to the wall but uh, you know going back and hearing this you hear so many people point it fast as a shark as you know prototype speed metal and thrash. And I, I, I totally get that Because You know if you've never heard Metallica You know and other other bands that were doing Speedy stuff like Motorhead and Raven at that time I mean Fast as a Shark would be thrash to you But the right, album isn't right. Just Fast as a Shark It's also the title track Restless and Wild Neon Nights uh, My personal favorite Princess of the Dawn Uh just a landmark metal album, and, you know, and, and Bill Wang hit it on the head. There's just something about except that is just metal to the core. No matter what they do, it's like, yes, you know, when you're hearing except it is heavy metal, and uh, a landmark album.
1: I own, I own the alternative cover where the, the, it's live. It looks like yeah, a live I mean, album. I don't own, yes. and I never owned the original version. I own it on CD, but the original cover I found back in the '80s. I guess I bought this album maybe in '84, maybe uh, was right. that cover with the live.
0: Yeah, cover. that that was the U.S. cover. The international cover was the flying V's on on uh, fire. Which is the
1: CD. I when I bought it on CD, it's that cover. Right. Uh,
0: All right. Then we go to the, the next album. Uh, Ralph, I know this is one you're a fan of, and that's Alcatraz's No Parole from Rock and Roll. Uh,
1: didn't we touch upon this one, uh, Ian? I guess. I think it was one of my picks of the week, and you went to listen to it.
0: Well, and- I, 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 yeah, yes, yes. Uh, you know, it was probably when we did the Graham Bonnet. Uh, "Rainbows" uh, Yeah, uh, Rainbow. Down first episode. Uh
1: episode. Yes, I absolutely adore this album, with the exception of the first two tracks. I uh, can't stand um, Island in the Sun. and The second track, General Hospital, is like whatever. But the rest of that fucking album, Jet to Jet, Krina Corey, which in my opinion uh, features the greatest Ingvae Mountfield guitar solo, Too Drunk to Die, Too Drunk to Live, whatever that shit's called, The Star Car Lane, uh, Bigfoot, Suffer Me. I love the fuck out of fucking Alcatraz and overall for rock and roll. Great, great, great album. What do you think, Bill?
2: Wow. <laughs> once again Dr. Fuck fucking nailed this shit bam I think whatever <laughs> I think exactly what you just said and the thing about this album is it's just so it's so uh, apocalyptically incredible and I think it's fucking badass and it, it has a lot of substance uh, I love it it's badass and it, it's awesome there you go bam nice.
0: oh. all right I I say turd with a capital of T. Uh, I, I actually got this album originally through oh, Columbia oh I know I, I got this through Columbia <laughs> house because um, I fell in love with a mom's Momstein. Through the Trilogy album, and I love that album, and I started reading about him in Hit Parader and heard about this band he was in uh, before. I didn't know about Steeler, but I knew about Alcatraz. So I ordered off a, a Columbia House, and uh, man, you know, the first song I hear is Island of the Sun. I'm like, what a fucking turd. And, uh, you know, even then, and I liked some shit back then, but this, this, this was, I was like, ugh. And then when we did our uh, down to earth episode, you know, you recommended me checking this out. And one thing I will say, I changed my mind on with Graham Bonnet is I love the album he did with the Michael Schenker Group, Assault Attack. That I I really enjoyed. His 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 vocals didn't bother me. His lyrics didn't bother me. For whatever reason, that hit home. But this one, you know, even you said you said, hey, check this out. Give it another listen. No, I still think it's a smoking piece of shit. Uh, I don't care for Alcatraz, No parole from rock and roll. All right. What's All that? right. Next is uh, the last album in what's considered a blackout trilogy from Alice Cooper, that started with uh, "Flush the Fashion," uh, "Zipper Catches Skin," and it ended with this year's album "Dada," which would be Alice Cooper's last album for three years. And he says he has no recollection of making this album. Uh, it was his last for Warner Brothers, and it's kind of a loose concept album. It definitely has a cult following, but other than that, most people don't know it. What do you think, Ralph?
1: I absolutely adore this fucking album. It is uh, a weird fucking album, but so was the two before it. I like "Flush the Fashion" a lot. "Zipper Catch and Skin" was kind of like hit, very very hit. In it but t- as far as the blackout era, this is my favorite one. Um, Dada is just something I, I go back to a lot. And like about two years ago, I found it on vinyl and I almost fucking creamed my pants. I, I even went, oh man, in the record store. And people turned around and looked at me. I was like, wow, I can't believe I found Dada on vinyl. You know, uh, I think it's a really great album. Even though as weird as it is, um, I like the title track, you know. There's there's a lot of good stuff I, I like on this album. I love America. Is just one of my favorite Alice songs. It's just so weird and funny, and I don't know, man. Something about that, dude. That it's just like hits home with me. It's one of the. It, it is a strange album, and the people that aren't like really into Alice Cooper, they'll probably end up hating this shit. But I honestly think it's a it's a great fucking record, you know. And and it's weird how he couldn't. You know remember this shit. dyslexia is another good one i like on this one and pass the gun around and some good a lot of good shit on dada dada is it's a weird it is a strange album i'll tell you it really does match that album cover you know because it's just a peculiar weird album but i dig it i think it's pretty cool what do you think bill
2: i think this album pretty much sucks <clears throat> and i think Alice Cooper, generally speaking, sucks. Uh, I think he's the most overrated situation I've ever fucking re- reviewed. Um, I, I respect him, but generally speaking, his, his song structures and whatnot suck. And I don't like this album and I give it one out of five chopsticks. Well, there band.
1: you go. All right. What's
0: next? Right. Oh, did you talk about it again? No. uh, I'm not a huge fan of this album, though I am a huge, huge Alice Cooper fan. More so of the original Alice Cooper band. I mean, to me, they could do no wrong. Well, that was Uh, the best Alice Cooper era by far. Yeah, yeah, to to me, but there's people like Chris Sinzak who, uh, preferred the solo Alice era. Podcast Uh,
2: superstar. Podcast superstar.
0: That's right. Um, uh... I, I'm kind of on the fence with this album. I think, as far as the Blackout uh, trilogy goes, yes, it probably is the best. I mean, my favorite song out of that whole era is uh, the theme song to Class of 1984. Uh, I'm the Future. Uh, I, I think that's the by far the best song out of that era. But there are some good gems on this album, uh, you know. And it is, you know, Alice says he doesn't remember it, but. You know, something that never came out until uh, the documentary that he just put out a few years ago is he never admitted to drug abuse. He always said he was an alcoholic, but it turns out during this time he was very much a cocaine addict.
1: And freebase. And,
0: uh, yeah. And, wow. And he, wow. Well, well you freebase cocaine. At least I have. Um, <laughs> you know, Me, but, too. Uh, Me too. Me yeah. too. Me too. Oh, oh really? Really, it's the only way to fly. But uh, I never lit myself on fire like Richard Pryor. Hey, uh, that rhymed. Uh, and and all due respect to Richard Pryor, I love him. But uh, yeah, you can't mix cognac and uh, free bass. It never ends well. Anyway, uh, uh, there are songs I love, but this is really, uh, to me, a downgrade as far as Alice Cooper era goes. Um, and and while I enjoy it, I think it's one of those things like Unmasked. I love Unmasked because I'm a Kiss fan. If I wasn't a Kiss fan, I would hate Unmasked and I would rag the piss out of it. Uh, and that's how I kind of feel about this album. If I wasn't a diehard Cooper fan, I would be like, wow, what a piece of shit. But because I love them, I I, I admit my fanboy, you know, this is the fanboy coming out. I like a few songs. All right. Well, then we go into Anvil. And Anvil's follow-up to their breakthrough Metal on Metal with Forged in Fire. Uh, Ralph, what do you think of Forged in Fire?
1: Absolutely love this fucking album. I bought this way back then, maybe a year later in 84 uh oh my god winged assassin the title track um uh, butterbust jerky come on dude that's some classic shit there free as the wind uh i love this one a lot um not as good i will admit as metal on metal which i feel is their best album but i really do enjoy this and i think it's kind of groundbreaking too uh rob reiner's drumming on this album as well as metal on metal i mean uh what a lot of people don't remember i mean Back then Anvil was still, you know, they were kind of like a cult band even back in the days They were releasing their most, you know, successful albums uh, They still were very much under the radar and only appealed to hardcore metalheads like myself that would venture into You know import shops and that's the only way you can find anvil albums at least in South Florida back then and I remember buying metal on metal before this but on the strength of metal, metal made me buy this, and I do remember buying this. I believe, I believe before backwack came out, it had to be. The Backwax yes. I think, was around eighty-five or something. So, yes, um, eighty-five. I did get this. It might have not been eighty-three, but I definitely got this uh, like an eighty-four. I, I got it not that long after it came out, and and I love it. I think it's a great album. It's it's part of. Uh, the Anvil history that I admire
2: the most. Bill? I think Anvil fucking sucks. And if it wasn't for that fucking al- that, that movie, nobody would know who the fuck they are. Well, I think, true. you know, honestly, no, hold on. I think Anvil sucks. And I think this album sucks. And I think they think they fucking are a little bit more important than they really are. And uh, they're boring, and they mean nothing. And the big picture of heavy metal, hard rock history, they're nothing. And they suck. This album sucks. And there you go. All
1: right. What do you think, Ian? Uh,
0: I I love it. I love it. And I'll tell you what. I've met these guys. I hung out with them. Uh, They've done intros to our show, both Lips and Rob Reiner. And you want to hear some funny shit. And I'm not sure exactly how many of the Rob Reiner intros you've used. But Rob got so high for the show he was sitting outside uh, this place here in New Orleans, uh, god damn. I'm I'm so drunk I can't remember the name of it. But uh, <laughs> but but I I hung out with they were the nicest guys. And you wanna talk about an amazing fucking drummer. Rob oh, Reiner. Yeah. Oh yeah. Holy shit dude and when I sat there and, and watched him play live, I mean, it was on fire, dude. I mean, just inc- for for a guy as, you know, as old as he is, and, and, I mean, I hate to say that, but it's a reality. For, for a man in his late 40s, early 50s, to play a set like that, it was blistering. I mean, just my mind, I'm, I'm like right in front of the stage. There's no fucking, you know, security guards, no nothing. It blew my fucking mind, and then you hear songs like "Forge and Fire," "Shadow Zone," "Free as the Wind," uh, "Butterbust Jerky," "Winged Assassins." I mean, I mean, just uh, I, I couldn't disagree with uh, with Bill Moore. Uh, I, I love it. To me, this is pure early '80s prototype thrash. Uh, you couldn't get the thrash that you got later without bands like Anvil. And Raven and Motorhead that were doing stuff that they you know they were grabbing from the past, but they were also reaching for the future. And I I think that's so important in, uh, in what became the thrash scene. And uh and they deserve all the respect in the world to me. Uh absolutely love it. Great album. But uh then we go into the armored saint EP. Uh, Ralph, why don't you take this?
1: Oh, man. You want to talk about one of my favorite, all-time favorite bands. Here it is. Armored Saint. Um, I discovered this EP. I have the original vinyl, and I did have it in the 80s, but it was a little later on. I did not own this when it came out. Uh, the very first Armored Saint I bought was March of the Saint on the strength of an MTV video being delivered, Which I think MTV only played once and uh oh man i love that album i know a lot of people complain even a band about the production i have no problem with it even though it doesn't sound like teaching in the night at all but it was it was produced by the same guy um and uh but i love this album. it's only three songs but all three songs i love lesson will learn false alarm that that turned out to be they re-recorded for the baby lounge on the way is amazing I believe they have a song called No Reason to Live that came out on the Faithful Conquer album that was part of the CC, well, on the same recording session. And I believe also Stricken by Fate, which is on March of the Saints, was also recorded during this. But yeah, it's one of the very first uh, Metal Blade releases too, I think. You know, along with the Metal yes. Massacres, and I think Bitch. I mean, that's about it I, I can think of that was released in 83. And uh, I love it, it's an EP, it's only three songs. I mean, it's even less than an EP. I mean, they call it an EP, but really, you know? EPs are like, I think, minimum four songs. You know. But I love it, what do you think, Phil?
2: Um, I think one word comes to mind, overrated, and I don't like it at all. Wow, uh,
1: overrated is not a word you should use for anything.
2: That's well, not an overrated word. Sorry, standard. well. All right,
1: well, underrated here's the deal.
2: To the, underrated. I think the most underrated band of the 80s is Martin St. Mann's album. No, I, mean, I it's, think that it's one cool. Was... It's, cool. I... it's cool, you don't like it, no, but... No, 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 but... hold on. The most underrated fucking band of the 80s would be Sabotage, but this band can't even touch a fucking... fucking nothing to do with that. So, anyways, I don't think I like this album, and here's the deal. I don't like it. All
0: right, Ian. All righty. Um, 17, uh Sabotage...
2: Now you gotta be thinking sabotage. Uh, <laughs> ah, Ar- Ar- sabotage blows this shit away, please. Oh, Anyways, oh,
0: bam. oh, I, I disagree a thousand.
2: Ah, uh, you're so fucking uh, disagree. You're so great.
0: Uh, Oh
2: God! How did I uh, make this, this shit look like winger, bang tango, and War. Uh, Anyways, any yeah, as you were saying,
0: Arlen Saint was a band. Uh, when they came out, uh, totally under my radar. Uh, you would see like maybe a couple ads but you didn't see that many videos on MTV uh, they really weren't pushed that hard they were on Chrysalis which was a horrible label you know for, for metal bands uh, ask Vinnie Benson uh, you know and uh, it, it it's weird that it took me so long to get into Armored Saint because when, when, when uh, John Bush joined uh, Anthrax, I absolutely loved it, you know, and, and that was the one, like, I thought I could never forgive, you know, that it's almost like replacing David Lee Roth, you know, you can't replace Joey Belladonna, uh, but man, when I heard Sound of White Noise, I was like, oh, this guy's amazing, but for whatever reason, I never went back and checked out Armored Saint until years later, and even then it was sporadically, and it really wasn't until Ralph, you expressed how much you love them that I was like wow I really need to go back and listen to this and now going back and listening I'm like man what solid like 80's metal you know and you can totally see why Metallica wanted John Bush to be their lead singer because they knew if they didn't eventually uh, Load would come out and James would try to sound like Merle Haggard you know and they they would have to stop it but uh, Love Armored Saint. Bang Tango. Bang Tango. Bang Tango. Harder
2: than load. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, my bad, bro.
0: uh, No, I I love this EP. And to me, it's it's classic early 80s American heavy metal.
1: And what I I love, another thing I love about Armored Saint, too, was they really did adopt the British metal. They didn't sound like an American metal band. They sounded so British. They had that European down to them and and I, another thing I forgot to mention is this the first the first song on the EP Lesson Well Learned did I believe was on Metal Massacre two before this EP came out. I could be yes. wrong.
0: I could be wrong. Yes no you're right. You're right. You're but right. I did Metal not Masker. own
1: I I own Metal Massacre One but I never owned Metal Massacre two. I own it now, but uh, I believe right. I bought the E P before that. But yeah Lesson Well Learned was on Metal Massacre Two. Uh, the, the leading track on it, first track on that. Album. All right, what's next?
0: All right, next album is man, this is one that really divides the metal community, and that's Black Sabbath's only album with Ian Gillen, *Born Again*. Ralph, talk about it.
1: Probably the heaviest of all Black Sabbath albums, I would say. Um, groundbreaking. Production does not bother me at all, even though it does bother everybody including the band uh, Love the album cover and it bothers the band as well Trash which by the way, I saw this tour and they did not play trash and then I and I was like I was perplexed I was like, how can they not play trash? It's the fucking it's the first track on the album It's it's the video, you know, because at that time that was the only video I saw later on they did I saw a video for zero the hero, which is an actual continuation from the song Trash. Trash yep. and Zero the Hero are kind of like a, a trilogy, well not a trilogy, a story in one.
0: Yeah, yeah. before Guns N' Roses did it. <laughs> exactly, and they did it.
1: But, dude, that Even though it's weird as fuck, man, that shit is freaky, those videos. But I found out years later that Trash has never been performed live, ever. Which is like really weird. One of the sickest guitar solos from IOMI. Sickest screams I think ever caught on tape, period, is on Disturbing the Priest. I mean, especially toward the end,
3: where he's like, ah!
1: oh my God, dude. Zero the Hero, later uh, uh, later, Guns N' Roses used as uh, Paradise City. Um, Digital Bitch, a song about Sharon Osbourne. Uh, Born Again, oh my God, the fucking, the feeling, the emotions of, of being vocal. Hotline fucking rules. Keep it warm. I fucking love. I, I, I did say in interview oh, I don't like it as much as the rest of the album, but I love it. And people are like, you're crazy. It's a great song. I like, I didn't say anything. It's a great song. It is a great song. I just I prefer the rest. And it's also the return of Bill Ward. The 70s Bill Ward if you ask me, because it's a little more unorthodox drum planning, where if you listen to Heaven and Hell, it's very and Heaven and Hell is perfect. Not taking, but it's not Bill Ward. I'm sorry. It's you know, it's like Vinny a piece. It's somebody just keeping the beat, you know. And you know, But in this one, Bill Ward kind of stretches a bit. It's unfortunate he wasn't around for the tour, but I did see the tour at Sunrise Musical Theater with Night Ranger, and it was a mind-blowing experience. I'll never forget watching Ian Gillen on stage play bongos to fucking Warpage. Unbelievable. And the only time I ever saw Black Sabbath play Supernova was that night. So I love uh, Born
2: Again, one of my favorite albums of the 80s, definitely. What do you think, Bill? Man, first and foremost, um, anybody, uh, uh, my fans are going to be all fucking listening to my shit. Here's the deal. This album fucking is the most sludge, fucking infested, fucking badass album. I love it. I think it's fucking oh my god I mean I I listen to this album and it's it's so fucking heavy and so sick and so fucking badass and I fucking love it I think it's it's 5 out of 5 chopsticks but I think there's something about this album that just I mean there's something about this album that I just can't put into words but other than it's fucking badass so I love it And it is... I mean, the fact that Ian Gillen is the singer on this Black Sabbath album, I think it's fucking sick. It's badass. It's so fucking... Oh my god, it's just so sludgy. I love it. And it's probably in my top... Oh god, I thought about this. Probably in my top three, four... No, top, top four Black Sabbath albums. There you go. Five out of five chopsticks, obviously. I mean, <laughs> if I didn't... If I gave it any lower rating, I should be shot. So, yeah, man. Fucking sick-ass shit. Ian Gillen is so fucking badass. He's, he is God. And, uh, yeah. So, there you go. Bam.
1: Fuck yeah. Alright, Ian.
0: Uh, man. What an incredible album. And, uh, This is one that, like, with every passing year, I love more and more. But it's always been, like, this weird anomaly. Because there's no other Black Sabbath album that that sounds remotely like this. There's no other Black Sabbath album that sounds like this. Even though, you know, there's been a lot of plenty of other Sabbath albums that have had less members. I mean, really, you think about it. The only classic member missing is Ozzy from this one. But it's just so heavy and so dark. And, and, you know, usually you would get like these juvenile uh, lyrics out of Gillen. I I mean, I, I love Gillen for what he is, but you get these weird abstract lyrics and you still get that here. But in a Black Sabbath context, you know, you get something like Disturbing the peace. The priest and threat and trashed and I mean it's one of those things, but it divides so many people. And the weird thing is, is as much as I love this album, when people say they just can't accept it and they don't like it, I understand it. I don't judge them. I don't get mad at them. I'm like, I get it because it is just so weird and and, and so different. And, uh, you know, we did a review of this, and, you know, I'm very critical on the uh, uh, the instrumental interludes, but the funny thing is, and I even mentioned this, is if you get the remastered with the extended version, I believe it is, of Stonehenge, I think it worked better when it was longer than it did when it was short, but just, I don't know, the eeriness, everything about it. And, and first and foremost i think it's one of the greatest album covers of all time of all time and uh you know uh, ian gillen hated it you know the uh i think tony iomi was the only one who liked it and it was also used by depeche mode uh for a single but it it, it was uh you know like with flesh tones it wasn't with the you know the purple and the red and, you know and everything and but, oh, man, there's something just so nasty. And, and when you hear bands like Cannibal Corpse talk about how it influenced them, and you can see that because it's, I mean, it's not like a death metal or a thrash out, but it's just so goddamn sludge and heavy. But it does go, you know, kind of, you know, you got Trash, you got <laughs> Disturbing the Priest, Zero the Hero, but you also have Keep It Warm, which is, like I said, one of my favorites it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, but I think it utilizes every member perfectly. I, I think, you know, Gillen sounds incredible, and and only yes. sounds flawless, you know, and, you know, Geezer and, and Bill. Everything sounds great. Uh, you know, I'm not so much on a Hotline or, or Digital Bitch, but uh, the rest of the album is so amazing that I totally overlooked that, and to me, it's it deserves its place right up there with uh, the Ozzy era and the Dio era. An incredible album. Very All cool. right. All right. Well, then we go into one. The, this one's universally uh, hated, and I can totally see why. And I'm talking about the 1983 album by Blue Coat, Revolution by Night. What do you think, Ralph?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not that big on this album, but boy, one of my favorite, all-time favorite Blue of The songs is what kicks off this album. I love Take Me Away. My, oh, hell yeah. I love that song so much. I love that video. It's so weird. Um, and I remember um, by the strength of the video, I went and bought this album. And you know what, dude? I can't say this is a, a terrible album. It's just not something I revisit much. And when I do listen to it, it doesn't really really doesn't really do much but it's but it's also one of those albums where i can't think well this fucking sucks i don't think it sucks it's just eh, shooting shark and stuff like that it's like whatever but take me away man that that right there is a pure killer voice to call type song killer rip killer solo killer vocals on it i i read an interview where eric bloom says it's one of his favorite songs but he doesn't really like playing it live much because it's so hard to do live. Though I did see him do it live, uh, like about five years ago, at the Cold Room when they played there, or maybe it was a little longer than that. And uh, I love it. I, well, you know, Revolution by Night is like kind of whatever. It's definitely a downgrade from their incredible album, Fire from an Origin, that came out before. It. You know, not including that the live album. And. Uh, well,
2: that's what I think about it, pretty much in a nutshell. Uh, Bill Wang. Um, oh man, I agree exactly. And the thing about this album is, it's so MTV ish, and yes. uh, I yeah, it, it 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 reminds me exactly of where <laughs> I was when I heard this album, and uh, I love it. I think it's sort of a... and I, I get why like the hardcore people hate it but I don't hate it. I like it and I think it's a really cool album and I think it's three to five chopsticks. Alright.
0: Uh, honest review. Uh, yeah, exactly,
2: man. I mean no, 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 y'all y- 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 want me to fucking like suck kick kiss and you know suck ass no i'm not gonna do that i think it's a really cool uh, that song in particular i love it i always post that shit on my my in my group um i think it's cool and uh there you go
0: no i i think that's spot on and out of the three of us by far i'm the hugest uh Blue Easter cult fan uh unfortunately i think they're a victim of their own success because if you listen to the first three studio albums it's so dark and so mysterious and so weird, but then they have this hit with, you know, Don't Fear the Reaper uh, on their fourth album, and then from then on they just keep trying to, to recreate this anomaly that was Don't Fear the Reaper when I think they should have stayed how they were And by the time they get to uh, Revolution by Night, it was the first time there was a lineup change. Uh, They had kicked out Albert Bouchard, uh, whose brother still played bass, Joe Bouchard. But Albert Bouchard not only was was a major singer in the band, but a major songwriter. And to produce this album, they got Bruce Fairburn, who, you know, cut his teeth doing... uh, Loverboy, uh, would go on to do Bon Jovi, all the horrible, Psycho Circus. Yeah. All the horrible Aerosmiths. And there's a reason I'm glad he's dead. And, and, and this is the beginning of it. Uh, and he was murdered. He he was murdered, by the way. He was murdered. He was shot. And I, I, I believe it was from a music fan. Um, because I don't like what he did with the band. Uh, I, I love Take Me Away uh, which nobody uh, mentioned was co-written with Aldo Nova who at that time was hot off of Fantasy uh, I love Eyes on Fire Shooting Shark that was also written with Patty Smith uh, who co-wrote uh, you know a couple of great songs with, uh, with Blue Easter Cult uh, but they really went off in a different direction and their drummer at this time was Rick Downey who would later leave Blue Oyster Cult and go on to be Anthrax's lighting manager. Or, like, do all the lighting rigs for Anthrax. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm the German Blue Oyster Cult. No, fuck that. I'd rather do lighting for Anthrax. So there you go. Uh, Not a great album. Also, uh, on the song Shooting Shark, Randy Jackson plays bass. And not Randy Jackson from Jackson 5, but Randy Jackson from uh, American Idol. And Journey. Yeah, and Journey. He was a big studio guy. Uh, I, this was the beginning of the end for me for, uh, for uh, Blue Easter Colt. And I still like some songs. I mean, the next album, Club Ninja, was absolutely horrible. Not one good song. Uh, then I think they would do one of the best of their entire career with Imaginos. That's a whole that that's a whole podcast just on Imaginus but uh, this this really was the end. They, they they had a rebirth with Fire of Unknown Origin, but uh, they put it out uh, fabulously with this album, just like shh, you know squirt extinguisher. Okay, we're done. Okay, we're gonna play bars for the next forty five years, you know. And unfortunately, that's what happened. Even though I love the Amazing Oyster Cult all right the next song uh, next album i should say uh and this is one i've heard of but i wouldn't really know if it wasn't for you ralph and that's coney hatch and their second album out of hand
1: i'm not really that familiar i've heard it but nothing really grabbed me from it uh i'm a big fan of the first album uh with devil's deck and monkey bars this one is i remember it had a song called shake it Uh, That was okay, and Love Games was okay. I believe that was like maybe the single for uh, Fallen Angel. You know, had some decent tracks, but it it wasn't something that I, you know, I. Here's the thing. Um, Back in the day, uh, when I bought Coney Hatch, I bought the first album on the strength of the video for Devil's Death, and I was too cautious to buy anything else from Coney Hatch because I don't know. For you know, and the album cover kind of turned me off too. It was a kind of stupid album cover. Uh, with a mouth and a microphone, I think. And um, it, I just like strayed from it. But uh, years later, when the internet came around and I was downloading shit that I didn't never own and I was curious about, Coney Hatch was one of those bands. And I remember downloading this album and a couple other ones. I thought the next one, Friction, was a little better. But not that much better. But Out of Hand was, it was Out of Hand. It wasn't as good as the first one. So... Um, not really a fan of this album, to,
0: to put it lightly. You know, there you go. All right, what do you think, Bill?
2: Uh, I agree exactly what Doctor just said. <laughs> Sorry, I mean I, it's it's simplistic, but exactly.
0: Alrighty. Um, well, I checked this one out, Ralph. After you know, the, you turned me on to the debut album, and yeah, definitely a step down. Produced by Max Norman, who at the time was hot off of Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman, and Y&T's oh, Black I Tiger. Did,
1: I did not know that because he's got a good string of albums.
0: I guess. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, and it was it was recorded for the Anthem label, which was uh, Rush's kind of side project. And they right. are a Canadian band. I didn't know uh, about that
1: either.
0: Yeah, but uh, definitely a step down from the first one. I I don't know Friction, uh, and I listened to this one kind of sporadically, but it didn't grab me like the first one did. That's for sure. All right, well, then we go to... Here's an album that, I mean, whether you're a hard rock metal fan or just a music fan, you know, and I'm talking about Pyromania from Death Leopard. Ralph, what do you think?
1: Um blockbuster the only thing that held this from being the greatest most selling album of 1983 was Michael Jackson's Thriller I believe it was six months at number two something ridiculous like that this album right. was so successful that I remember back then I used to work with this guy cleaning carpets this is right when I left school when I finished graduating high school uh, well maybe the following year in 1984 well uh, that um, I remember going to three or maybe it was in four different houses cleaning carpets and all those houses had a copy of Pyromania Shit you not I seen the vine. i have seen this fine wide everywhere um, An album that really did divide a lot of Def Leppard fans I remember when it first came out nobody was bitching about it But it was one of those albums that became so popular that people started hating Def Leppard and I was like bro Die Hard to Hunter, Coming Under Fire, you know Stage Fright, you know it's a rocking album, dude And I think it has aged really good. I've listened to it from time to time. And you know what, man? I never, ever, ever get burnt out on Photograph. I think Photograph is the perfect pop rock song. Maybe the greatest pop rock song ever written, period. Now, Rock of Ages, yeah, I'm burnt out on that one, but whatever, you know I mean? I was never really a fan of action, not words. And you know, believe it or not, I never really liked Billy Got A Gun. So I kind of think it tapered off at the end, but as a whole, you know, it's no, you know, I prefer the first two albums, but dude, I love this song, Rock, Rock Till You Drop, which was originally called Medicine Man from the On Through the Night Days. Um, you know, Too Late for Love's a great song, and, you know, there's a lot of Pete Willis influence on this, and Pete Willis does play guitar on it, and he, you know, he wrote he wrote some of the songs, you know. He, he helped write uh, Too Late for Love, and, uh, you know, I believe, I believe Photograph Pete Willis had something to do with, you know, and, uh, uh, Coming Under Fire, probably my favorite song on the album, he, uh, he wrote, I have to listen to this album again, it's been a while, but, you know, I listen to it here and there. And, and, and I think it's, sonically, it's great. It's not real drums, I believe. It's not Rick Allen, which Rick Allen was very pissed off about. But I think Mutt Lang hit it out of the park, and it deserved to break Def Leppard. And I predicted Def Leppard to be famous before this album came out, I, I, I predicted back in the, on to the night day that one day, Def Leppard is going to be a huge band. And I was right. And boy, they were huge, man. I saw this tour, Crocus opened, sold out, Hollywood Sportatorium. Unbelievable show. They were great. The rage was a pyromania back then. Love it. What do you think, Bill?
2: You know, the thing about this album is I was trying to, uh, it was I never got any sort of uh, situation where somebody would tell me what this album was and neither of you guys told me what this was about. And I think the, the, I mean, if I was really trying to define this album, if somebody said, hey, Bill Wang, give me a word to define this album. And I would say, oh, okay. And I would say, brilliant. This is the most brilliant, heavy metal, hard rock uh, pop album that's ever been released. This album is fucking sick. This album is fucking sick. And this song in particular that we're we're referring to is fucking sick. And um, I love this album. This album is fucking sick. It is fucking so badass. And is it as heavy? Is it as great as the album prior? No, it's really not. But is it fucking badass? You fucking damn right it is. It's fucking badass. And I love this album. And um, it's crazy because I was like totally trying to put myself in the perspective of back then, you know, because I lived it. You know what I'm saying? I lived it. I'm not the guy that, that Oh yeah, this, that, and the other thing. I lived it. I was outside of the Oakland Coliseum stadium when um Oh Christ, where uh what's the guy's name? Oh, my god. Uh, Billy Squire oh my bad. Billy Squire was uh the opening band. Um and uh He basically got blown away. uh, My situation is this album is badass and it's it's awesome. And I know I'm going crazy, whatever, but it's awesome and uh, it's awesome. (laughs) I can't say enough. I no, I mean I can't say enough positive fucking shit about this album. It's awesome. So I give it five out of five chopsticks. Bam, awesome.
0: All right, well, I am right there with Bill Wang. Uh, this is a perfect fucking album. And it, it was a phenomenon for a reason. And I've talked about this in, in previous episodes. Uh, you know, I, I got into a couple of the biggest metal albums through Michael Jackson. Uh, because I used to go with my grandfather to Sears! Sears! And Roebuck had a fucking music section. And I would go and buy cassettes there. And twice I went to buy Thriller. And Thriller was such a phenomenon that it was like almost always sold out. Um, but, you know, my grandfather took me there. I'm getting something. Uh, the, the first time I went there, they didn't have Thriller. Uh, I bought Metal Hell. Well, I should say my grandfather did. The second time, I got Pyromania. And I'll never forget Pyro... I mean, it just reminds me of being in third grade. And, uh, you know, back then I had a boombox. <laughs> you know, that everybody knows from the 80s. Everybody had a boombox. And I would take mine to school. And on recess, you could play it. And constantly... And I know it's so weird and so different. But there was three three cassettes that I played constantly on recess one was the blues brothers soundtrack one was hall and oaks greatest hits the other one was pyromania that i would just play non-stop, and to me this album it's 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 the black album before the black album but it's better than the black album uh I, I think it's better because overall it's a better album, but like the Black album, it crosses genres. People that love all types of music can love this album. And uh, and Ralph, you mentioned Pete Willis's involvement, and he was in the band until halfway through. He was a co-writer on Photograph, Too Late for Love, uh, Coming Under Fire, and Billy's Got a Gun. And I don't think there's a bad song on this. You know, back then, Ralph, I was kind of like you. are like, oh, Billy's got a gun. But in hindsight, dude, this is an album I put on, and I got to hear Rock Rock Till You Drop Till Billy's Got a Gun. You know, I got to hear Photograph, Stage Fright. I played the Stage Fright on my radio show today. One of my all-time favorites, Too Late for Love, Die Hard the Hunter, Foolin', Rock of Ages, coming under fire actions not words and Billy's got a gun I mean it just does not get better than that and in hindsight you got to realize how many people became heavy metal fans because of metal health and pyromania these are two of the most important albums of all time in, in hard rock and heavy metal because it proved that you can do something Hard and rocking, but still has that that pop chorus and and can appeal to so many people. I mean, mean, how many people do you know that aren't hard rock fans? But, you know, you play like fucking, unfortunately, some shitty songs like, you know, pour some sugar on me or whatever. You know, play some Death Leopard songs. They're like, oh yeah, I love that shit. You know, uh, and they were so on fire. In my opinion, the first three albums. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, for us Die it really went down after that, but you can never underestimate, uh, you know, albums that were so huge Metal Hell, Pyromania, uh, I mean, I know it's totally off topic, but Synchronicity by the Police. So many albums that were like just groundbreaking that don't get the attention they deserve because. Thriller eclipsed all of that you know and that's that's not their fault I mean it's just you know Thriller is something that comes along once in a lifetime you know and it is what it is but this was just a phenomenal album that appealed to everybody the videos were perfect they looked perfect at that time they had ten arms you know which was a plus uh, you know I I even said that when I played Stage Fright today. I said, I miss this kind of Death Leopard like Rick Allen misses shirts with two sleeves. Wow, ouch. Yeah, I know, and I was like, oh, too soon? You fucking bitches. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's an incredible album, and it, it, it's a phenomenon that none of us will probably ever see again. There will I, I don't think in our lifetime, unfortunately, the way music's going we'll ever see a crossover album like Pyromania again. The closest we ever saw to it again was the Black Album. But I'll take this over the Black Album any day of the week. But, uh, I mean, those were two albums that, you know, your grandmother had a copy of. And, and, and my grandmother had two. And she sold them both for drugs. But that's another podcast. Uh, absolutely love Pyromania. So now we go to the next album, which is, and I know we're skipping some, some people are going to say, ooh, why didn't you mention this album? Well, bitch, we've only got so much time. We have to talk about the debut album from the band, christened after his lead singer, Ronnie James Dio, Dio and Holy Diver. Ralph, what do you think?
1: Uh, wow. And, uh, I got to tell you, man, the, uh, the first time I ever heard of this album. Being a big fan of uh, of Black Sabbath with Dio, because I own Mob Rules. I didn't know this came out. It was not very well promoted when it was the first release uh, initially out, because I had a friend, his name, I don't remember his real name, but his nickname was Hoser. And no, he wasn't from Canada. And uh, he had it. He had the vinyl, and I was at his house, and I was like, dude, you heard this? And I'm like, what is this? Dio. I was like, what? Ronnie James Dio? Yeah. I was like, Are you kidding me. And man, I'll never forget when he put this on his turntable. The mine, and he had a tape deck. And I begged him, please tape this for me. I need to, I I, I didn't want to leave his house. I need to take this with me. I need to take this home. I couldn't afford to buy it, but I needed it on tape. And he was nice enough to erase whatever. I think it was like fucking, uh, he had Asia or something. And he erased it and put Holy Diver on it. And I took it home. And I would play it so non-stop. And it was just such a great... It, this this album, like a lot of people... Like if you were a headbanger, dude, in 1983, this was like the hardcore album. This was the hard, the, the underground. You know, Rainbow in the Dark took off and it was a fucking mind-blower that, that out, that song took off and made this album well-known because... I believe this album went out to be platinum, maybe. I don't know. I, re- I remember Rainbow in the Dark was on, on the radio a lot back then. Even Dio did a Budweiser commercial with Rainbow yeah. in the Dark. It just not, the not, not,
0: not to cut you off, Ralph, this did go platinum, but not till 1989. Wow, look at that.
1: But it was huge. It was huge to have that because uh, Last in Line was a fucking headlining tour. And on the strength. Fucking holy diver it was deaf without a doubt. It wasn't last in line that exploded them, it was this album, and yeah, it was shown a lot on MTV. Rainbow in the dark, no, uh, holy diver, not as much. The video, but Rainbow in the dark was shown a lot, even on Time. Uh, stupid video, by the way, but it, it was it's just and, and to this day, I mean, god, hands down, the best deal album, you know, for solo band. I'm sorry, anybody out there that says different we just trying to be cutting edge. I see people go, man, Dio's best album is Strange Highways. It's like, dude, I love Strange Highways. Don't get me wrong, but like, come on. And, I, and just the other day, somebody said Master of the Moon. I was like, really? Dude, <laughs> stand up and shout, Gypsy. Don't talk to strangers, man. Straight to the heart, Shame on the Night, Invisible. Oh my god. I could go on and on, you know, gypsies, You know, the title track. Every song on this album is top notch. Every one. When I was about a kid, if you would ask me, what song, and I was like, ah, the only song I don't really care much about on this album is Caught in the Middle. Now, that song is God. Oh my God, Vivian Campbell, fucking Vinny Peace Jimmy Bain. This was the perfect lineup. I mean, they strayed a bit on uh, Sacred Heart. You know, I think that was Ronnie's fault, because I understand he wanted to get a little more famous uh, you yeah, know, and even Glass and Line had mystery. You know, they're trying to redo "Rainbow in the Dark," which is something you should never do. You know, that right. that "Rainbow in the Dark" was definitely they should have just changed the name of the song to "Lightning in a Bottle." You know, seriously. Well, because, uh,
0: I mean, I don't know if you know this, Rap, uh, Originally, Ronnie didn't even want that oh, on yeah, the no, album. I know.
1: I know this. It was actually Vinnie piece that convinced him to put it on the album. And there's a funny story. It's on the DVD of um, of Last in Line. The DVD. Anybody out there, man? You got to get that CD from the band called Last in Line. It brings a bonus DVD. And in the DVD, they talk about when this this song was done. Um, J- Jimmy Bain one hand in one hand, he had a glass of liquor. In his mouth, he had a cigarette dangling, and he went up to the keyboard and did that. He did that thing. On the keyboard he came up with that little keyboard part uh, while smoking and drinking you know uh, you know he's like multitasking and you know and that's the most iconic part of that fucking song that's I think that's the that was the appeal to make that a commercial success was like dude, oh yeah if you take that little keyboard part out it'd be a kick-ass deal song but it wouldn't be a kick-ass commercial deal song like mass appeal deal song Jimmy Bain, rest in peace uh, came up with that little keyboard part. I love that song. I love every song on this album is fucking great Dio Really nailed it and I honestly believe if he would have stayed in black Sabbath uh, The next black Sabbath album would have had a holy diver on it and shame on the night uh, Who knows what Tony would have came up with but I think those two titles alone Would have been great for black Sabbath, but go ahead. What do you think bill?
2: Um. Oh, man, I swear to God, I think it's fantastic. The the situation, I think it's fucking awesome. Um, there's elements that I'm like contemplating. Is is it as good as it? I think it is, but I think it is, and I think the it's awesome, and I give it four to five chopsticks. Bam.
0: All right. Uh, I I think it's absolutely amazing. And uh, it's sad in a way that this wasn't the next Black Sabbath album. Uh, But, I mean, as everything turns out, you know, we got Born Again and we got this album. So I think everybody wins. Uh, The only person that could have improved on this would be Tony Iommi. And even I don't know if he could have done what vivian campbell did on this album uh so it's probably best it happened the way it did uh not one bad song and uh you know i love that you brought up the fact Ralph, that it was you know jimmy bain who came up with the with the keyboard part because a lot of people associate the original lineup with claude schnell on keyboards but he didn't join the band until the tour. And didn't become an official member until last in line. And uh, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That was that was Jimmy Bain who came up with that. And played um, all the
1: keyboards on this album. Actually, Ronnie James Deal did some synthesizers on it.
0: Right. Right. And and you know another thing that's crazy is is Ronnie got the uh, the record contract to do this album while he was still a member of Black Sabbath he got he got a, a solo contract during uh uh the mob rules era because you know wonder brothers considered black sabbath dead and gone after uh you know a technical ecstasy and never say die and then they came back with heaven and hell and they're like oh it's because of this you know this wonder kid midget who's singing and uh you know with the success of of heaven and hell they offered him a solo contract and that was a lot of you know bullshit between him and Tony and Geezer and shit and uh, you know especially cuz Bill was out of the equation but uh he already had this set up before he was kicked out of the band but oh what an all-time metal classic and you know there, there's very few albums where you can say uh, this this couldn't be better or this song should have been left off. In my opinion, everything on this is perfect. No song should be left off. Everything is actually flawless. I don't bitch about the track listing. Everything about this album is incredible. Uh, one of the all-time greatest metal albums. If there's anybody who doesn't know uh, Holy Diver, you probably don't know the joy of pussy, because it's just that A B C. Just you'll like, never,
1: you'll you, never hear them talk about this on unpopular metal opinions.
0: No, because it's unpopular to say how awesome this album is. They, uh, they, but but, is... but
1: it's funny because they, they their favorite song is from uh, the Losers. It's called Shame on Shame on My Life. <laughs>
0: yeah all right well then we go into the next album before you go into the next uh,
1: album uh can we all agree top five 1983 holy diver has to be in there
0: oh yeah definitely
1: right bill wake up bill all right go ahead what's the next one
0: all right uh the next one is uh very important because this is the dawn of the cock rock era and the more, you know, if you will, lighter metal. And I'm talking about Dockin', Breaking the Chains. Uh, Even though, you know, they would definitely have more impact with their next album, this is when they first came on the scene, and uh, a band that, even though they were never that huge, in my opinion, were very important uh, in 80s hard rock and heavy metal. What do you think of Breaking the Chains, Dr. Fuck?
1: First time I ever heard anything to do with docking was, man, I remember this shit so vividly. And it's a weird situation, too. I was on a bus, a metro bus, and I had a boombox with me. And it was late at night, and I used to listen to a syndicated radio show called um, uh, The Metal Shop.
0: The Metal Shop. Only show with teeth.
1: And uh, I'm in the bus, and I used to record... The metal shop every week and this uh, it just so happens I'm on the bus and I'm recording and they played Paris is burning and I remember hearing this on the bus with the guitar solo and I'm recording this going who the fuck is this and then the drums come in the bass drumming and the vo- uh, the vocal uh, everything about Paris is burning I fucking love and it probably is along with tooth and nail the title track my favorite uh, docking song oh my god I love Paris is burning so, you know, that was Paris is Burning from docking I was like, I need to buy this fucking album, dude. Dockin', Paris is Burning, you know? So, uh, and then soon after, I, I I could be a little sketchy because it's been goddamn, what, 34 years already? Um, I don't recall if I saw the video for Breaking the Chains before I bought the album or not, but I do remember Paris is Burning, I, I do remember. I heard before the, song, the video. I saw the video for Breaking the Chains. Which, by the way, Breaking the Chains music video, one of the greatest videos ever. It's so bad, it's fucking amazing. Love it. It's love so it. horrible. Said she loved me. She loved it. I love you. She'll come back. You see the girl mouthing. I'll come back. <laughs> yeah. And him in bed. Anyway. So, uh, and then, you know, I, I bought the album. And, uh, oh my God, I was so let down. I don't like this album. I like the song, Breaking the Chains. I like Felony. I know it's very, very cheesy. It's about fucking underage girl. Uh, Knight Rider, the riff is good, but I don't really like the song much. And of course, Paris is burning. The rest is just... really does nothing to me. I'm not a big fan of uh, Breaking the Chains, the album. I think they really found their, their niche on uh, on Tooth and Nail. I think that's when, uh, that should have been their first album. But, you know, that's that's what I feel. And I know there's two versions of it, because uh, the original version came out in 1981. Um, Yes. And, um, which has the track listings all, you know, scrambled. And Juan Crucier, is the bass player on Breaking the Chains. Where I think uh, they they needed fucking uh, Jeff Wilson.
0: Well, not only that, though. I mean, Juan Crucier was on the 83 version, but in the 81 version, uh, Peter Blatz from uh, Except played bass. Ah, you did not know that. And also Bobby Blatzer. What? On bass? Uh, no, no, on, on drums.
1: drums? Yes. That's Bobby Blatzer on drums? I'm breaking the chains?
0: On, I, on the 81 version. I know, I know. Wow. Yeah, so now i got to hear yeah, the 81 ba- bro- version. Bobby Blotzer and bass was split between Juan Cruzier and Peter Blatz. I did not know that. Hmm, interesting. And, and then when they re recorded 83, you had what was considered. Well, uh, aside, Juan Cruzier still played on the 83 version, but you had Wild McBrown and, and George Lynch and Don Doc. Well, George um, Lynch was on the 81 version, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but he came in, I, I, I believe. Even though he has co-writing credits on all the songs, I believe a lot of them were written, you know, ahead of time by Don. And uh, uh, it's a good album. Uh, I agree. Like, I think they really found their song with Tooth and Nail the following year in 83. I mean, 84. But, uh you know, songs that in the middle. I love in the middle. Uh, Breaking Chains, you know, Paris is Burning... Uh, you know, but it it is compared to the rest of their catalog, it is very fillerish, but you you see the genesis of what would become uh, you know cock rock in the 80s hard rock and heavy metal and and uh for that I love it, but uh you know, their best was definitely yet to come.
1: All right, Bill, what do you think of breaking the chains?
0: I think it's great. Alright, what's that? All right. Alright, well let's go to something uh, I know you and me Wait, 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 bam, bam! Alright, go ahead, go ahead. Here's something I think you and me would both like to talk about and uh, I think we definitely need to expose more people to and that is the first studio album by uh, Exciter.
1: Oh, yeah, Heavy
0: Metal Maniac. Heavy Metal Maniac, (laughs) you're damn right. Hell yeah. What a That's great right. album.
1: Uh honestly, I gotta be honest with you, I think Bonds and Force was a little better, the follow-up, but fuck dude, this is a great album. Fucking uh Stand Up and Fight, Idol Track, uh Black Witch. Come on, bro, Rising of the Dead, Under Attack, Cry the Banshee, dude, Iron Dog, oh my god, Mr. Everything! Yeah, Mrs. of Evil? great great album an album i bought back then from the wow. strength from the strength of the album cover this was one of those albums that i bought without even knowing what it sounded like i just saw the album <laughs> cover and you know what it's not so much like i remember the album cover it's cool you know the guy's cutting into a martial lamp and is bleeding but it's just the fact that it says heavy metal maniac now what a lot of people and maybe you don't even understand it ian uh at that time, 1982, heavy to say heavy metal was fucking badass. Because you know, yeah. if you if you would call yourself heavy metal, you were like, dude, that's all. And then I see a fucking album by the title, Heavy Metal Maniac, with a guy cutting into a fucking speaker where you see blood. And the name of the band is called Exciter. It's one of my favorite right. pre-songs. Dude, everything about this. And you know, flip it around, they look metal as fuck. With the with the leather straps and shit, and I'm like, oh my god, this has got to be good. And oh man, when I put it on, it was, dude. It took me. I, I'll be honest with you, I got it on the first listen, but it did take me back a bit, going, whoa, these guys need business. Me. This was cutting edge, dirty. Not much of this around at the time, but it right. still it still wasn't like. Like, I'll give you an example, like the first time I heard Venom, you know, the first thing I thought of Venom, I was like, God, this sounds terrible. But then later I realized, no, no, it, it's supposed to sound terrible, like production-wise, but the songs are fucking, I mean, God, fuck. I'll put, I'll even say Venom's better than Cider. but my point is, Exciter was in that vein. They were 30. Yeah, I, w- I
0: w- I, I know that this might be sacrilege, I'd take cider over Venom.
1: That's fine, you know, I mean, some people will, you know, I mean, to me, black metal and well, especially Welcome to Hell were like, but right. to me, I mean, but I'll be honest, back when I first bought those albums, it's not like I hated them, but it did take a little warming up to because you know what, right. I, it was one of those things, like, and it's, ha- and unfortunately it's happened on a lot of albums that I ended up hating, that I kept giving it a chance. Oh, it's going to grow on me, it's going to grow on me. Luckily, Venom did and show no mercy. Honestly, the first time I heard fucking Slayer. So, album, I go, man I I have to like this. I can't get it now But yeah, the more I got into it then I finally when I realized oh man, this song black magic is great Then the rest of the album all fell into place Exciter wasn't that way. I kind of got it on first listen, but honestly, I got into it even more When I kept hearing it over and over again, and yeah to this day, man, it's like one of my favorites. I, again, Violence and Force is pretty much part two to this album, but I think it's even better as far as song-wise. It's a little more, I don't know, complete, but Heavy Metal Maniac, fucking phenomenal. What do you think?
0: Uh, Well, I'll agree with you. Uh, I like Violence and Force better. And <laughs> the, the, the funny thing is, you know, you talk about you you were attracted to this by the album cover. Uh, you know, <laughs> Unfortunately, well, fortunately for you, unfortunately for me, you came up in a better era than me. You know what album I bought because I love the album cover? Pretty Boy Floyd.
1: Yeah, are you kidding me?
0: No, I'm being dead serious. Because to me, it was almost like Destroyer. It just, it was like cartoon, but yet it was kind of cool. I was like, oh, let me check this out. And it was so, like, even for a guy who loved cock rock, it was so pussy and so pansy and so nasty but what's funny is you know you mentioned about how you like this cover the way I discovered Exciter was from the movie um, Trick or Treat
1: oh yeah while well, she was riffing through the album right
0: yeah when she's going through the album she she see she it goes was through
1: violence
0: or no you're right you're right it was you're right you're right it was uh, the wicked one you're right you're right okay. But that—that's that, how they came under my radar, and that's why I checked them out. Because, I mean, not only did I see that when it came out in theaters, but uh, you know, I i you know, would rent it religiously, you know, because I loved it. And that's how I checked out the first uh, Megadeth album was because of that movie. Uh, but man, what a great band, and they're from Canada, you know, which is another thing that's. That's weird, but what's so awesome about the music is it's totally a bridge between new wave of British heavy metal and and thrash.
1: Yes, of course, it you is know, very much so.
0: Oh yeah, like and, Raven and, and, too. And,
1: Raven too was part right, of
0: that. Right, and, and that's why. I mean, just for that, the importance alone, because you know they 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 took. You know, from the new wave of British heavy metal, but they pushed it a little bit. But you know, a lot of people didn't know about it because it was from Canada. But uh, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and say I knew this album when it came out. But going back and listening to it, it's like, wow, you can totally see the evolution of metal, and you can also see where other Canadian bands picked up on this. You know what I'm talking about? Void uh, 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 Annihilator, you know, uh, Razor. You know, there's a lot of bands that picked up on what Exciter did. And, and the cool thing is, I don't know if you saw this on Blabbermouth or not, but this lineup of Exciter has got back together. Yeah, a while it ago. Is, Actually, it's been about a year already that they've recorded right, but the, Right. And, well, they played some shows, but now they announced they're going to do a new album. Yes, so, I saw that, um, which is great. So uh, I'm excited about that. You know, I, you know. Will it I saw stand up to this?
1: Cider.
0: Right. Will it stand up to this? I don't know, but uh, but uh, I will definitely check it out. I have a, I have
1: a uh, feeling it may not be as good, but it'll be fucking awesome.
0: I have a feeling. Right. All right. Well, here's another one. Wait, wait. We didn't get Bill. Bill, what do you think of that album? Bam, bam, bam. Oh. I think it's great. Bam. <laughs> All right, well here's another one that's uh, I I think is grossly overlooked for what an amazing, really hard rock album it is. I'm talking about the debut album from Fastway, and uh, this is one that it's so I mean even the name is an anomaly because it was supposed to be, you know, kind of a pseudo supergroup between Fast Eddie Clark. And Pete Way from Fast—I mean, uh, Pete Way from UFO—but before they even record the album, Pete Way was gone. And but they had already picked the name, and it stuck. And I mean, on the album you had uh, Fast Eddie Clark, you had Jerry Shirley, who used to play with Humble Pie. Uh, They used Mickey Feet as the bass player on the album—totally uncredited bass player. But as a lead singer, you had an unknown 18-year-old by the name of David King, who now is a singer for Floggin' Molly, which is a traditional Irish music band, which I am a self-hating Irishman. I mean, I'm predominantly Irish, black Irish, uh, but I hate Irish music with a passion. Like, I know a lot of people love, like, uh, I love Thin Lizzy. Love him. That song, Black Rose, I can't stand. I really can't. It's just too Irish, too. Like, ugh. Ugh. But they got this young kid who almost sounds like Robert Plant. And and coming from a band that was so weird and as unique as Motorhead, for Fast Eddie Clark, this is, like, pretty much... I, I don't want to say... I don't know how to say this to sound respectful. It's not like it's not as good, but it, it's definitely a stripped-down version. It's a more uh, acceptable version, but it's still amazing. Hard rock. And I think there's not one bad song on this album. I think it still stands up to this day. I absolutely love, love the debut of from Fast Away. What do you think, Ralph?
1: Amazing. Love this album. Saw the tour opening for... ACDC DC Twinkly switch Tour, and it's still great to my memory seeing this band live with that huge checkerboard uh, backdrop they had with the fastway logo and uh, oh My god, and I remember back then a lot of people accused them of being kind of like Led Zeppelin ripoff Which I don't know maybe because a little bit to the David King maybe slightly Robert Plantish vocally But the music was just fucking hard rock with easy living which is an original not a humble You're uh, right um feel me touch me is a great song another day oh my god you want to talk about oh, classic? classic my favorite we become one uh which i can't put up online it keeps getting fucking blocked some reason man you can't put no no you can't find that video we become there's a fucking yep. music video for shit huh? you, you
0: you can't find the video for uh oh uh,
1: what?
0: see i'll uh, say what you will yeah, they blocked that. Yeah, they. I, I, you know, it, I do
1: remember an interview with David King saying how he hated Fastway. So I don't know; it may have something to do with him. I'm not sure.
0: Well, I, I don't know. I, I've seen interviews in the last couple of years where he said he loves it when people wear fast weight or Motorhead shirts to Flogging Molly shows. Oh, there you go. And he's, he says he's always. Respectful, will always slap hands and 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 give them time. And he says he embraces that era, even though, you know, he's on a totally different trip now. And Flog and Molly, for what they do, are successful. Uh, probably way more successful oh, yeah. than Fastway. Oh yeah, they are. Um, but uh, no, he he says he loves it, and uh, he looks back fondly on that. I don't know if he did, you know, years ago. He would also. After Fastway, he had a band called Do I own, I own of... that CD. I own it okay. with uh, the guitar yeah, player oh. of
1: Cobra, and he was in, uh, he was in uh, his Crocus at one time. His name is Mandy Myers, who's really good.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you you know Do. Yeah. I can't I can't fool you, the doctor of all the fuck. I own Bill that Wang. CD.
1: And there's two videos for that. Uh, when the rain comes a falling, and I can't remember the name of the other video. But yeah, I own you not know, CD, I, and it's a good CD,
0: it's not bad. I have it, I never listened to it.
1: It's not bad, it's pretty good, it's
0: not bad. But, um, to me, uh, a great, just, uh, great, great hard rock album, absolutely love it.
1: Yeah, uh, what, there was something else I wanted to say about this album, I forgot. Oh, oh, um. The last time Motorhead played, uh, last time I saw Motorhead, the very last U.S. show, by the way, at Pompano Beach Amphitheater, I wore my Fastway shirt because it, it you really remind me of people wearing Motorhead shirts to uh, Frog and Molly. So I wore my Fastway shirt, and I do remember a guy in the crowd like called me out, going, "Oh my God, dude, you are hardcore, bro. Fast Eddie Clark, Fastway. Like yeah, that's why I'm wearing this shirt, dude. Fucking." You know, Motorhead,
0: Fastway, there's a connection. I I couldn't believe when I was doing my radio show today, I had a request for Fastway, and this guy, uh, uh, new listener, he goes, "Oh, Fast Gay," and I'm like, "Fat, what the fuck are you talking about?" This shit is fucking awesome. Uh, I'm sorry, I'd love it. I think Fast Eddie Clark had a very unique style. Yeah, and. As much as I love and worship Phil Campbell and, and his era of motorhead and, and I love Wurzel, uh and I love what they contributed to. Uh, uh they never again replicated that sound. And I think even more than Filthy Animal Taylor it had to do with fast Eddie Clark to that early motorhead sound.
1: And and, and it's and it's pretty wild how he pretty much uh morphed into fastway because it sounds nothing like uh motorhead at all nothing you listen to fastway you don't think of motorhead at all it's more of a i wouldn't use the word commercial but it's more accessible and it's great i think it's amazing and yes you know you you mentioned say what you will you want to talk about a staple on early mtv videos that was played constantly constantly. Uh, we become one rarely and i ended up getting on vhs which i still own i just unfortunately cannot share it with the rest of the planet because youtube will not end daily motion i put it on there they deleted it so we'll wow. see what i can do I'll, I'll see if i can get it on uh some other. T- i you know what it's the thing is Ian ended i hate to bring up things that i can do online and get away with because you know there's some cocksucker listening to us that'll report us Well, all right. Well, Ian, before we get into uh, the next band,
0: the next album, why don't you tell people, the person that just joined us? Oh, well, we got a new host because, co-host, because the last one is still passed out. So we got none other than that metal station's DJ Metal Mike Tyler with us today.
1: Hell, yeah.
0: Hey, guys. What's up,
1: man? My second favorite DJ on there. Don't tell Ian I said that. Uh ah <laughs> don't worry, Ian's drunk. He won't. He won't remember me saying it.
0: Don't. Don't worry. I'm number twelve.
1: That's right. I'm number thirteen.
0: <laughs> All right. right. My,
1: my favorite. My favorite. Scott Green. Lucifer. Whatever the fuck you want to
0: call it. DJ Lucifer. This is Steve Miller with Amra All
1: right, Ian. So yeah, we just finished Fastway. So what's uh the next album from 1983
0: all right well here's one uh i wouldn't say fresh but uh after leaving the runaways or their demise lita ford comes busting out with out for blood does anybody remember this album i own it
1: well which, I, uh,
0: oh, which album cover do you have ralph i do, do not have-
1: i don't have the cool one the one with the oh, with, with the spider web? No, I don't have that one.
0: Oh, you got the other one. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately.
1: But I uh, I do, I did own it way back then on the power of the video, Out for Blood. Uh, I saw the video for Out for Blood on Night Flight, not MTV. MTV did not show that video, and I love that song, so I ran out and bought the album. You know.
0: Nice. I was just gonna say I don't even remember a video for Out for Blood. It's an
1: awesome video. It's really cheesy and stupid, and and that's what I love about it. it's it's total eighties video, with uh with a little storyboard of a of a funeral, not a funeral like a graveyard. It's
0: badass. It's badass. Check it out. Nice, Mike. Are you familiar with this album at all? Uh,
3: yeah, somewhat. I mean, I liked Lita, uh, but honestly, I didn't get. Into her until her second album, and then I had to go back. But it was actually my older brother who introduced me. Um, you guys might know him as uh, Scapegoat, he's the guy that does a lot of the killer bumpers and like you know, the whole um if you came here for this, and that's my big brother, he's the one that did all that stuff. Ah, but he's he's the uh, yeah, he's the one that introduced me to Lita Ford, and uh. Uh, yeah, it, it's a good record, man. I mean, I got to be honest with you. It's not one I go back to a whole lot. Uh, I kind of preferred The Runaways, but I like Lita. I mean, fuck what's not to like, especially back in the day. She was smoking hot.
1: Dude, you got to see the video, how she's dressed. Well, she's dressed like the like the album cover with that, with
3: oh, that, fuck. short,
1: that short fucking leather get-up, man.
3: Oh, yeah, man. She, she looks she, so hot. hot. I think she's batshit crazy. <laughs> I mean And that if, makes that makes her
1: even more sexy to me.
3: Uh, oh yeah that, that means kid, she's better in bed. Yeah, if her if what her kids and everybody is saying about her, I'm like, God damn, man. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so not
1: so, mom, not so nice of a mom, I've
0: heard, yes. Yeah. I, I, I don't believe that shit. I, I think the dad's the bad guy.
3: I yeah. honestly I think there might be you know, the thing is, man, it, it you know, if she's if she is mentally ill, she don't get help. It's, it's a fucked up situation because it's like, well, can they really help their behaviors or not? You know, it, it's, it's just one of those things. I don't know who's telling the truth. I don't, you know, maybe like you said, maybe lead is getting fucked over, but something's fucking weird there, man. I mean, I, I, I just have it hard to wrap my head around that The kids wouldn't want anything to do with their mom. I like to wrap my head around her vagina and I'm not talking about the one on my shoulders.
1: Yeah. Even, oh, now, yeah, even now, even now, dude.
3: Especially I, back then in her fucking prime. I mean, I was so in love with her. She's definitely in my my spank bank of that era. Her, Tony Katan, a few others. I think
1: of like the hottest chicks in metal. She may be the hottest, hotter than yeah. Doro, and I love Doro. Oh,
3: Doro's. I,
1: yeah, Doro. And I like Doro. I, I, I like Doro more than Lita uh, as a music wise, but. Yeah, I think it's hotter. There's so and I thought she was the hottest runaway, which you don't really hear much. But I thought she yeah. was so smoking hot in the runaways, man. Even sure.
0: when she was no. chubby. You know, like no. like to me like the hottest chicks in metal are like you know, Lita, Doro, Brett Michaels. Those those are some hot chicks I would love to bang.
1: Greg Barnes.
0: <laughs> yeah. But but uh, I I think her seriously I think her kids have like Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> uh, I, I I believe her more than than I believe that guy who used to be a nitro, who is now like a fucking roided out fucking freak.
3: Nitro fuck. Roid yeah, looks exactly. like he's more
1: like a McDonald's fucking freak. <laughs> exactly. Well,
0: that's
1: what,
3: exactly. That's
1: dude. what I uh, think.
3: But you know, I, even if she is batshit crazy, she's still Lea Ford I love her. You know,
1: fuck it. Yeah, and and you know what, man? I got to say, like, uh, after Sherry got a hold of her, uh, it it really downgraded. I'm not a big fan of the lead album, though I really do love the song she wrote with uh, Lemmy, Can't Catch Me, Smokes. And if you go on YouTube and you type in Lita Ford Can't Catch Me on Vieira Vault, my channel, uh, I saw Lita Ford play a free show, and she, she played that song, and she's still fucking amazing
0: that's cool that's awesome. I, yeah. I've seen a concert but I've never bought a lead album and I've never heard a leader album all the way through but I do like some selected songs
1: I saw her back in the day in the 80s but it was already the third album or was it the third album yeah I think it was uh, no yeah yeah I don't remember but uh, I can't remember now for the life of me who she opened before I think it was um, right Stri- no not striper um, loudness. Lita and I cannot remember the fucking headliner or Black and Blue was on that bill actually but I can't remember who headlined that fucking show I
0: met met her a couple years ago and she was smoking hot I almost met her in 1984 I was over at Tony Iommi's house and I said hey where's Lita and he said in the fucking kitchen where she belongs
3: and you
0: you know I was like hey you're Tony Iommi let's do some blow (laughs)
1: <laughs> well I, I want and, and to recap the album uh, I haven't heard it in so long but uh, I remember I love the title track and there's a song on there called Die For Me Only Black Widow fucking awesome but the rest of the album I mean I remember there was just a feeling which is an okay ballad and I can't remember the rest of it for the life of me but it's not a bad album but the next one was much better um, with Randy Castillo uh, Dancing on the Edge That's to me her best album Though yeah. I have not heard her later stuff so
0: that's I love Gotta Let Go That's a great one Gotta
1: Let Go, Lady Killer That's a great The, the title track Dress to Kill That's a great album man
0: Great. I, I like it the B-side In the fucking kitchen where I belong
1: Yeah well She belongs in my book. bed man I'll cook for the bitch <laughs> Oh
0: fuck Bitch Alright Well, let's go to an album now that, well, you can't really call it an album, but an EP, and this is something that I know you've sung the praises of for a long time, Ralph, and I'm talking about the original Great White EP, Out of the Night.
1: Yes. Uh, Wasn't it called On Your Knees?
0: Well, it's been been called everything but a massive seller. Uh, It's been called just... It's been called "On Your Knees," "Out of the Night," "Great White," but the four songs—or I'm sorry, the five songs—are "Out of the Night," "On Your Knees," "Last Time," "No Way," and "Dead End."
1: That is uh, Don Dokken
0: produced that that EP. True yes, true. well, he, he he is credited as is one of three producers. Okay. Yes, he is.
1: Uh, it's great. Uh, I heard it much later on on a, on a vinyl. I have it on vinyl. It's called Recovery Live, and it, yes. it brings the EP, and it's great. That's the Great White I love, man. Even the second album, I was like, you know, the second album, Face the Day, which is a cover. It was good, and there was like another tune on there I like, but it was the first album is just fucking great, and the EP is fucking great. It's not the Great White everybody knows. It's more traditional metal, and yes, I
3: love it. I love that EP. What about you, Mike? Are you familiar with that? Honestly, I've never been the world's biggest Great White fan. But, but, when I heard you guys mention Great White, and it was Ralph who said, yeah, check out their other stuff, their older stuff. And I did. And I have to say, I really liked what I heard, man. I was like, wow, this is Great White? I fucking had no idea. Because I was, you know, I mean, by the time Great White made it big, I kind of was getting out of the whole. I was out of the whole glam thing by then and cock rock, whatever the fuck you want to call it. You know what I mean? Like I like the early guys, you know, Rat, you know, Motley Crue. Those dudes were cool. Well, you know, we'll get to Motley Crue in a little bit, right? Because we're going alphabetically, alphabetical order, right guys? Yeah. Okay. So we'll get to Motley Crue later, but yeah, man. I mean, I wasn't the world's biggest great white fan to be quite honest with you, but when I went back and listened to to this EP and some of their other stuff, I was like, "Holy fuck, man! This was really good." But unfortunately, I guess nobody noticed or cared at the time. I mean, I gotta be honest with you; I didn't know about it. You know, it's time. I'm saying, yeah. you know, now I, I listen to it and I'm like, "Holy shit, man! This is pretty good, fucking shit." But
1: so I love, I, was, I love, I love, I love the song Out, "Out of the Night." That that's like probably my favorite Great White song, right?
0: I, I, how did how did you discover it, Ralph? How, how did you hear this? Because this wasn't on MTV. Yes, it
1: was. I discovered oh, it, it on was. MTV. The yes. the video for "Stick It," and then I still didn't buy it. Then they get then they made a video for "Substitute," and that's what made me go buy
0: it. I love okay, their well,
1: version of "Substitute."
0: Okay, well, it's not shown either of those songs on here.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I, no, I told you I didn't know the EP. I'm saying I discovered Great White with the first album. Oh. Oh,
0: okay, but you went back and got the EP. Okay. Well,
1: I got the EP way later when I owned a record store. Uh, believe it or not, I don't know I don't know if you knew this. I actually owned a record store at one point, and we got it in stock. And I looked at the titles. I was like, holy shit, this is early stuff. So I took it, and I listened to it, and I love the EP. The EP's great.
0: Oh. oh, that's right, because you got it as Recovery Live and stick it in yes. on Recovery Okay.
1: Is it? No, 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 no. Uh, Ian, you're, you're misunderstanding. I owned the first Great White years before I bought Recovery Live. Oh, okay. And I bought Recovery Live. I didn't buy it. Well, I did, technically, because I bought it from the record store. And uh, that was years later. I don't know what year that came out. Maybe 88? Uh, right. No, 87. That? All right. 87, 87. Well, I, I, 88, I had the record store, so that's when I bought it. But I owned the first Great White album. The year came out which what i was really bummed about was they were opening for judas priest on the defender of the faith tour and when i went to go see that tour it was uh it was um that canadian band vices kick yeah which was okay Kick-back. too i mean they're not a great band and i don't know that vices now, it's all right heavy metal shuffle is a good cheesy too but uh i would have rather seen great white so then i did see great white later on with with white snake it was white snake and great white and they did play that night on your knees that's the only song they played from the first album so at least i saw them play one song from that album
0: nice well uh yeah you know i i didn't hear those songs till years later as well but i was already a fan probably the first thing i heard off of them would have been uh once bitten you know i heard rock me and shit like that and i was sold because I, i know you really hate that like blues you know metal cock rock era but that's when I was first getting into it. I fell in love with it. and uh, But I can definitely tell the difference. When I went back and listened to it, it's like, okay, this is a different beast. And you can see where they jumped on that bandwagon or helped create it, if you will. Uh, but I, I love this just as much as, as the other stuff. And to this day, still a huge Great White fan. We talked about the news. I saw a video of... of uh, What's the uh, Jack Russell singing the other day? Sounded amazing. Uh, great voice. That's that's what great white is all about to me. I mean, I I do love Mark Kendall's guitar work, but oh my God, Jack Russell's voice. Uh, nobody can cover Led Zeppelin like that guy, and to me, he can sing the phone book. Uh, you know,
3: you're right. Great vocal. I remember when they did that Unplugged years ago and they, they did some Zeppelin and I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. They did a great job. And like I said, I've never and, and this is coming from somebody who was never a huge fan of that band, but I was impressed with that. And then like I said, when I went back and listened to their older stuff, it's like Ralph said it's it's really more traditional metal you know, which is right up my alley. Like I said, I didn't hate Great White. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't like yeah, you know. Of course like I said you know, with all of us, there's age differences. I mean, Ralph, he's older than me. I'm older than you. So I'm kind of like in between you guys. Like, I've always noticed that about this show. Like, sometimes I'll agree with you, Ian. And then other times I agree with Ralph. It just depends.
0: Well, you can't be right
3: all the time. Well, right, right, right. <laughs> You're
0: only right when you agree with Ian.
1: Hey, another thing. Uh, Great White suffers the hysteria syndrome with me. It's, it's the same deal. Like, Def Leppard. I love Def Leppard and that hysteria. I was like, eh. That's how I feel about Great White. Yeah,
3: right. Like I hated Hysteria. Fucking hated that record. Yeah. That's not my Death Leopard. It my was, Death. Leppard was, was Pyromania and everything
1: before. It was a pisser because I loved Death Leopard. And you know what? I was a defender of Death Leopard because Pyromania, of course, became so huge. You had to hate it if you were a serious head. And I was but like, was "Fuck you! Record- all. I love this. I love Pyromania. Still love that fucking album."
3: it's a good record. It's still a good record. It's I mean, a
1: solid, great, timeless album. Drum machine yeah. and all.
3: They're fucking high and dry and, uh, man, yeah. The oh, early yeah
1: deaf- I, high and dry is better. And I like On Through the Night
3: even more. A lot of people don't and, like that right, one. I like really that But even Pyromania, it was a good record, man. It, I On it, and I have to say, I mean, it just sucks that, that old boy lost his arm. Because yeah. that's what changed the sound of the band. That, well, and I, well,
1: let, let me just say, uh, Def Leppard, uh, is it Pyromania from 83?
0: Yeah, we yeah. already talked about it. Oh, we
1: did. Oh, okay. So let Mike sure. talk,
3: because we already had our, our say. So. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's cool, man. I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, Pyromania, I mean, again, I was 12, 13 years old when that album, uh, well, actually, it was 12 when that album came out, because I believe, yeah, January 20th, 83. So that that came out pretty early in the year and and yeah I mean that album had a big impact on me and I already knew who Def Leppard was because again you know my older brother he had um, End of the Night he had you know High and Dry so we you know we were Def Leppard fans and I I loved Pyromania and I didn't quite understand the backlash like you pointed out Ralph now now with Hysteria I totally get it because I fucking hated that record I knew Def Leppard was over when all the chicks in high school loved it and I fucking hated it I'm like well that's it you know, they, in, they in, loved hysteria. Oh my God, did they love hysteria!
0: In closing on Great White, I have to say, if you compare Great White and Hysteria, Great White sounds like fucking Gigi Allen compared to <laughs> fucking Hysteria. <laughs> and I, I know Great White, they, they lost a lot of people with the fucking with the ballads. And as I've always said, I'm not the ballad guy, but to me, uh, they excelled at it. And and even though it's not on the album we're talking about, try finding another ballad that is as perfect as fucking House of Broken Love. I mean, uh, guitar I tone. I don't know that one,
1: but you know what I like? I like Save Your Love. You
0: don't know House of Broken Love? Hey, man. Chill out. You oh, come on. I mean, you that was that? a huge hit. You don't know that song? Oh dude, no. no dude. Oh, okay. All right, well, let's I, go I love Save
1: Your Love. I love that one.
0: Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah. Well, let's go on to a, a fucking awesome slab of metal that I hope we are all familiar with. And I'm talking about the 1983 masterpiece that was released by Grim Reaper called See You in Hell. Ralph, what do you know about this album?
1: Well, this is an album that, again, MTV turned me on to. I saw that video and I automatically fell in love because I like that heavy metal music. And, and they and they played that metal music. And I saw that video, and I was like, dude, I did not watch that video going, this guy's face sucks. I was saying, this fucking guy can sing. And the fucking band was fuck. That song, that song, See You In Hell, is fucking timeless. And so is the album cover. It looks like a killer Molly Hatchet album. I was like, bro, it does. I gotta buy this fucking album. I took it home. I love the album, but... There is one song I don't like on the album that is universally loved by Grim Reaper fans. And I'm sure you can guess it. Go ahead. Go ahead,
0: Ian. Oh, d- don't tell me you don't like The Show Must Go On.
1: No, oh, I love that song. That's a ballad.
0: I love it. Oh, okay.
1: What's the, dude, everybody know. points to this song as like one of the greatest songs ever. I'm like, dude, I cannot stand that chorus. The song's good, but the chorus sucks. Talking about Dead on Arrival. Ah. You like it, don't you? Come on. I do. I do Yeah, every, everybody <laughs> does For some reason That's the only I love liar, Rap and the Ripper Come on, bro Run for your no. life The show The show oh, that must was... go on Kicks ass. All hell loo- Let's lose Great album Love it
0: Alright What do you think, Mike? Are you familiar with this album? Yeah um,
3: Great vocalist Very underrated vocalist um, Stevie He's fucking great Um I know you know it was popular you know especially Beavis but hell he's fucking fat well you know hey fuck you man i'm a fat guy so i gotta stick up for my own
2: oh
3: great vocals and 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 yeah wrath of the ripper is probably my favorite song on the album great fucking record man and i think a kind of a precursor like when i listen to it even now i hear elements of power metal you know like a lot of your power metal vocalists I think. Oh yeah.
1: Oh oh. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. This is very much a, a blueprint of power metal singers. Is this song? Exactly. And you brought up Fat, and I, I hate to change the subject for a second, but I gotta say this because this has been eating at me a lot. Um. Back. Uh. Back in. Uh. Th- three years ago. Um. As you remember, I was in the hospital. Yeah. Well, I. I hate to bring this up, but I think. I, I know this is going to cause a lot of controversy and I don't care. It needs to be said because I can't live a lie anymore. Um, my name is actually George Gomez. Dr. Fuck died and I, like Paul McCartney and Nikki Six, um, I, I, I took the place of Dr. Fuck. I mean, look, look, I don't smoke cigarettes. Come on, bro. I lost, I, I'm 30 pounds less. Come on. I don't know how anybody hasn't noticed I'm like an imposter. But let's not talk about that anymore. What's next, Ian? And you sure
3: sound like him. You sound like Dr. And Buck. I
1: sound like him too. And, and the singing, you know, you know how how I got, I didn't sound like Dr. Fuck singing, but this is what I did. I inserted a chicken bone in my throat.
3: Awesome. And that's how I sing like this now. Uh,
0: that's
1: well, the man, only way you can whenever, get Dr. Whatever it takes
3: work. to, you know, because the world needs Dr. Fuck, my friend. Yeah. Whether it's real or pseudo Dr. Fuck, we we need that. You know, so, you know, rest in peace to the original Dr. Fuck. Yeah,
1: but yeah. But, but,
3: but, yeah,
1: yeah, if, if he, if he would have lived, then I wouldn't be part of this show. So, that's
0: true. I mean, well, that's true. all I know is the people on Unpopular Metal Opinions like the original Dr. Fuck. It's the new one. They can't stand.
1: Yeah, I heard. I heard. By the <laughs> way.
0: That has the chicken in his mouth.
1: Next uh, up, fuck next fuck up, fuck I'm fuck cover, fuck I'm going to, I'm not going to wear it. shoes, by the way.
3: That fucking... Man, I got added to that. Oh months ago. And, oh My god, that's some of the shit on there. I'm just like really hey,
1: hey, hey, hey don't steal my oh. thunder I don't want them to put a picture up of you and replace mine.
3: Oh, I don't think that's gonna happen to Yeah, you. good good. Oh good. get me number one, but oh, I, was yeah. saying, I Was just like whatever I just let him do it. But sometimes these people would just post it wasn't even really unpopular It's like fucking stupid Metal opinions. <laughs> yeah. I mean well, I was like, okay, whatever, you know.
0: Here here's a popular one. See you in hell kicks fucking ass. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And uh, and I, I discovered this one late. I was definitely late to the party. I never saw this on MTV. Uh, you know, at the at the time, it wasn't until years later when I saw it repeated on Headbanger's Ball, but at the time it came out I had no idea. But a friend of mine gave it to me on vinyl. And I fell in love with the, you know, just the artwork. You know, he gave, he gave me, like, uh, there was a fire sale at a local record store. And he bought all this vinyl. And I was like, oh, fuck, I don't have a record player. Gave it to me. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the road, I was like, oh, Back for the Attack. Awesome. I was like, oh, Grim Reaper. What the f-? I've never even heard of it. And this is probably, I would say, 89 or 90. And I just looked at that cover. I was like, oh, I gotta listen to this, man. And I fell in love the minute that fucking needle hit. And uh, the the one that always stands out to me, though, I mean, as much as, you know, there's so many classics on this, but uh, is The Show Must Go On. Because it is just so epic and so long, and but not a wasted moment. I mean, if fucking Iron Maiden could squeeze that much passion... Into fucking seven minutes and twenty six seconds, uh, their their last fucking ten albums wouldn't suck so much.
2: <laughs> but
0: this is absolute perfection. Yeah, definitely influenced fucking power metal. But to me, this shit's all over power metal because it's traditional metal with power metal like vocals.
3: Right, right, right.
0: They they they, they did definitely suffer from the physical appearance of of uh, Steve Grimmett. And, and that's unfortunate you know it's it's like one of those you know if they came out in the 70s nobody would give a shit because you heard a good song and you liked it but uh you know let's be honest
3: California yeah uh, you,
0: you know if, if, if BTO came out in 1984 they never would've stood a chance yeah. you know you got, you got you got four fat Canadians you know it doesn't matter how <laughs> good the songs are nobody would give a fuck if you didn't look like Duran 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 and uh, you yeah, know, and,
3: official shit did start in the '80s, unfortunately.
0: And, and, and you know, the, the butt of the joke because of that, but you know, what people really need to focus on is is the music. And yes, how awesome that voice is, the guitar riffs of uh, Nick Bocott, Uh absolutely amazing. I I love Grim Reaper, and I I played him twice on my radio show today, and uh, you know, once by request, and I love that because I always get a request for Grim Reaper. And I love that metal fans don't forget this shit. Uh, They don't give a fuck what the guy looks like. It's all about the music. And that's what Grim Reaper is all about. Traditional European metal at its finest. Absolutely love this one. All right. What album is next? You will find out next week. And now let's go into pick of the week, shall we? And I'll go first. My pick of the week this week is something I just got in the mail yesterday. And... Holy shit, is it smoking. It's a CD-DVD set by Testament called The Dark Roots of Thrash. And this was filmed in New York on their Dark Roots of the Earth tour. And it's the classic lineup, but with Gene Hoagland on drums. And holy fuck is this mind-blowing. I'm a big fan of uh, the post-reunion albums. I know not everybody is, but I am. But this shows them, man, very powerful and very... Uh, you know, just of the moment. This is what Testament is right now. I love the DVD that came out before this, the live in London, but that was more about, you know, and even the band will say, you know, that was a reunion thing. That's us playing the old songs. This is who we are now. I absolutely love it. I love the new Testament that just came out, Brotherhood of the Snake, but you want a good, like a, a good thrash live album with a great DVD to go with it. Testament, Dark Roots of Thrash. That is my pick of the week. What you
3: got, Mike Tyler? Well, I was gonna ask. Could, could, can I have two? Because the reason why I'm asking is I got, I just got these albums. All right. Okay. Go, go ahead. Thanks, guys. Well, one of them would be the after mentioned or previously mentioned Testament Brotherhood of the Snake. I just fucking got this album. I pre-ordered it. Got it yesterday haven't got to listen to the whole thing, but what I've heard is fucking amazing, and I fucking love it, and I love Testament, and I can't say enough good things about that band, um, you know, a titan of thrash, to be sure, uh, I love it. And then, of course, The Almighty Crowbar, The Serpent Only Lies, huge Crowbar fan, anybody who knows me knows this, I've only listened to a few tracks of this, I played some on my show last night. But what I've heard, I like. And and, and Kirk never disappoints me. And Plus, they got Todd Strange back in the band. And I'm fucking, yeah, dude. Fuck it. And they're coming. December 4th. And I'm going to go see them. And hopefully, I get to get Kirk to give me a soundbite for my show. So, anyway, yeah. Those are my fucking picks. And thank you guys for having me on the show again. I fucking love this shit. Well, you'll, you'll be here next week.
1: All right, uh, my pick of the week is from 1985 from a band called Onslaught. Uh, Their album is called Power From Hell. It's dirty, it's ugly, it's fucked up metal, kind of before it's time. Uh, An amazing album. Check out Power From Hell. They're fucking awesome.
3: Great fucking band, Ralph,
1: great pick. Great album, my favorite album from Onslaught, actually. I want to
0: say all
3: our picks were fucking
0: phenomenal. Yes. It reminds me of that album your mom put out. With her bad I'm a slut. She puts out a lot. (laughs) Yeah, she does. Very consistent, that one. Very (laughs) consistent. Thank you. Thank you very much. All All right, right. let's go to some plugs. Wait, fan of the week. Ah, shit. Never mind.
1: All right, fan of the week, and this is the first time ever. I'm actually going to do a fan of the week of a guy that's no longer with us. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm talking about Dr. Fuck. Um... Doctor Fuck was a huge fan of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. He was also a huge fan of Thrasher. Died. Uh, actually, he didn't. It's me on combat. But you know. Anyway, uh, yeah, he loved anything that he was involved in. Uh, they say that he died from uh, from pancreatic uh, whatever the fuck in the hospital. But I happen to know because you know I'm the guy who took over. The real reason he died.
0: Overdose of ego. Hey, I, I'll tell you firsthand, I, I met him, and uh, he snored.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't snore. Now, chicks are even saying, wait a second, you ain't snoring. I said, no, no, it's okay, baby. I, I, I learned not to snore anymore. And they go, oh, okay, because they believe me because they're all dumb
0: bitches. <laughs> but enough about James Gilman's mom. They were also like, what
1: happened to the birthmark on your cock? <laughs> Oh, man. And I said, I said, oh, no, it just went away, and they believe me because they're dumb bitches. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, if you enjoyed part one of 1983, by the way, Ian, Ian, I'm talking! (laughs) Uh, We are going to get a Ouija board and summon the spirit of Dr. Fuck. So you're going to get two fucks for the price of uh, none. Cause you go, you guys don't pay shit, you fucking lazy fuckers. Yeah, don't you love when people go, hey, why don't you, why don't you fucking review this and that? Yeah, why don't you send me money, you fucking cheap faggot, faggot. Uh, so yeah, Doctor Fuck, the spirit of Doctor Fuck will join us next week on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast.
0: Two fucks in one show. It's like I'm at your mother's house.
2: <laughs> Two. What a slow day. <laughs>